1: Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.
0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, this is Pia Baranchini and welcome to Everything is the Best, the podcast where I get vulnerable and make others do it with me. The goal here is to deep dive into interesting people's journeys, finding common denominators, and hopefully making you feel not so alone. So let's laugh, let's cry, and let's get inspired to live our best lives. We often hear inspirational stories, right? But Susie Petits, the founder and CEO of Poopery and Supernatural, really takes the cake. Although she recently tied the Forbes list of America's richest self-made women with Reese Witherspoon, Susie's journey to success was a goddamn battle. She grew up in poverty, surviving childhood sexual and domestic abuse, two bankruptcies, three divorces, and severe depression. She sold exercise equipment, opened a clothing store, tanning salon, beauty salon, sold lingerie, bought homes, sold homes, and at certain points became homeless. She was so focused on money solving her problems that she lost herself. Her aha moment came after reading Byron Katie's Loving What Is, at which point she dropped everything and attended her 10-day seminar. Five years later, after filing for bankruptcy for a second time at 38, Susie sold her first bottle of poopery. I've been buzzing since we had this conversation, and I am so lucky to share this story with you. Stick around to learn about my new favorite term and a live idea— And stay tuned to the end of the episode to hear Davide and I answer your relationship questions. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. So excited to talk to you. Um, My mom is freaking out that I'm talking to you because she's the biggest Poopery fan. Oh, that's so sweet. She bought it. It was right when it launched. Somehow she found out about it. And at the time I had a job in a tiny office with a bathroom that was super exposed and I would come home from work with like IBS already and I would come home from work with these huge stomach aches because I was too scared to go to the bathroom at the office oh man and I mean this is my whole life and my mom bought like a lifetime supply (laughs) and they're in every bathroom in our house and she always you have to watch the commercials this commercial is so funny you have to watch this commercial look at her look at her look at her look how funny she is gosh
1: and did you um did it help you use the bathroom yeah, it
0: still does. It's in every, it's in oh. every room in our house. It's unbelievable. So, so good. I want everybody pooping. <laughs> it's such a hard topic for women, and most women that I know have some. So, I mean, you know, all of us have like disrupted microbiomes at this point. So oh yeah, going but to the also, bathroom. Is-
1: also, um, whenever you're really intuitive and sensitive and an empath, you mm-hmm. know, I know. Um, my uh, medical director, I was like, Oh, I've got like IBS and stuff. And after a few months, she's like, You don't have that. She owes your body. You're so in tune with your body that whenever I'm upset, I have stomach issues, you know?
0: I had a girlfriend who cured her quote unquote IBS by going on anti anxiety medication. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because she was having all these intense emotional reactions to things in like a really hard time of her life and kind of tried everything. And I remember saying to her, like, I think you're just nervous and anxious. Because I yeah. get that way too, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're in Dallas? I'm actually
1: in LA. I've oh. been here for a couple months. So you have been. Yeah. So I don't know if I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> At were some you, point, I probably will. But
0: Were you already here and then didn't go back? Or were you like, this will be a better place to be?
1: Yeah. Well, both. Um, I was already here. And then when I knew quarantine was happening, I'm like, well... You know, working remote anyway, I might as well just stay. Yeah. I, I really thought it was going to be for a couple of weeks. And then now, you know, I've been here two months and then I'll probably be here another month. And who knows?
0: I love Dallas.
1: Oh, thank you. I, I love too. Dallas. It's, it's such sweet. a special
0: place. It's a really cool place. Yeah. So um, for those who don't know, your journey has been incredibly interesting and multifaceted and not really a normal trajectory. Right. So what I mostly what I like talking about on this podcast specifically is eliminating like the glitz and glamour of what might seem to be, you know, beautiful success and a wonderful life and kind of getting down to the nitty gritty and all of those little hardships along the way so we can literally just take it from the top like where did you grow up L-
1: little hardships or big hardships <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> or freaking deep holes <laughs> i dug myself in bed and had to dig myself back out of Those, mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about mm-hmm. okay got it <clears throat> um i grew up in arkansas hmm and the short story is you know that I checked all the dysfunctional boxes, you know I was raised with a my dad was a bipolar alcoholic. My mother was addicted to pain pills When they got divorced at 10 years old, I was actually happy What child was actually happy that their parents are getting a divorce? I was like, oh, thank you The raging fighting is going to be over Molested by my stepdad. I was married bankrupt and divorced by the time I was 20 years old Tried to kill myself when I was 21 um, went straight into an abusive marriage where I get pregnant with my first child. Four years later, was escaping that abusive marriage, sleeping with the enemy style, um, having to move to a different state, really plot and strategize at 25 years old with two kids, which is radical to think
0: about now. Radical.
1: Radical. Um, ended up homeless for a, a period. And then I met this wonderful drummer who I said, I need help. And he says, let's move in together. I'm like, great idea. I was married <laughs> to him for 26 years. I, found myself, I really thought that money, Pia, was my way out. I'd abandoned God a long time ago, so I had no concept of spirituality or any higher power or anything um, because whenever I was being molested, I was praying to God every night that wouldn't happen to my sister. When I found out it happened to my sister, I felt this big betrayal. So um, you know, I was always just like scraping and fighting and clawing my way. Like I would have a job and then have a side hustle in my trunk, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm literally selling clothing to beauty salons and hair salons out of the my trunk of my car, buying things, selling them at garage sales, like hustle beyond hustle, because I really thought that money and success was gonna get me out of not only where I was, uh physically, as in, you know, my house or state of being, but more that I would actually feel worthy, right? Mm-hmm. And I would actually be someone in the world. Fast forward, when I was 38 years old, I had put all of our money into a dot-com. It was actually an incredible idea. But it was 20 years ahead of its time. I had this idea to build a recruiting platform that matched a person's culture to a company's culture,
0: right? Because I read about that and I, ju- duh, I mean, I, I, I would I have invested all my money in that too.
1: Yeah, so I did, and then the stock market crashed. Thank goodness uh, I was in the final stages of getting five million dollars in funding. Stock market crashed, and uh, I didn't owe them that five million dollars. Followed my second bankruptcy, and I was done. Like, if I didn't have children, I probably would have tried to kill myself again. Severe depression, the rug got pulled out from underneath me to say, uh, just really flattened those moments where the only thing I had to live for was my family. Mm -hmm. But at that point, that didn't even seem like a lot. Like I was really mentally, physically, um, and mostly spiritually bankrupt. Mm -hmm. I was was just done from the game that I've been
0: playing for so many years. How did you even get to the point where you were raising, you know, because to be in such a dark place, hustling the two kids. And then, I mean, first of all, your perseverance is undeniable because a lot of people, once they hit those hard moments, just spiral, right? There is no side hustle. You don't feel like you're worthy or even willing to do anything like that because there's no hope or faith left. But um, how were you even raising, going about raising five, like the raising the five million? I would love to just know more about that because I think what a lot of people don't understand is how hard that is to actually raise that money, you know?
1: Yeah, and that was... uh gosh uh, 17 years ago so yeah. i don't know what that's worth now you know um i i didn't even know i didn't know anything about private equity firms or investment firms. I just had an idea and Mm -hmm. someone said, I have a friend who invests in companies and I put together a bunch of psychologists and a whole team. It was just sort of, it was a natural intuitive thing. Mm -hmm. What I really teach is about alive ideas and that whenever you have an alive idea, it's very similar to having a child in my experience. You don't know what you're doing and you freaking figure it out. Yeah, There's exactly. enough resources around you. So back then, I'm a lot more savvy in business than I was back then. Back then, I was just a hustler. Like, okay, great idea. And I literally would just go from from thing. Oh, I have a friend that can that, uh, invest in companies. Okay, great. And he's like, great idea. You need to put a team together. Okay, I put a team together. So I was literally just doing whatever everybody said what I know now, Pia, is it was a good idea, but it wasn't an alive idea Mm -hmm. because it wasn't a passion of mine. It wasn't something that was birthed of my being. It was like, oh, culture, that's the most important thing. Why don't Mm -hmm. I do a website
0: about culture? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. A gut feeling versus you thinking that something makes sense.
1: And something passionate. So Mm -hmm. what happens is if you don't have that passion within you, that's how you can't keep going. Mm -hmm. You know, I kept going because my desire that I had was to freaking make it. So I was like an expert marathoner running, just running towards money. What I realized after my second bankruptcy is not only was I exhausted from the running, but... I didn't like myself, I didn't love myself, and I didn't like how I got there. For mm-hmm. example, overrides and compromises. You know, you know you, I, I use my looks, you know, it's like, oh, I knew the, the guy thought I was cute, so I go to lunch with him. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like these little subtle things that we do that are very normal in business, especially as women, but that over time just don't feel good. So I didn't like who I was as a person. What I say is what's worse than losing everything is losing everything and realizing you don't like who you are getting it
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and you didn't even have fun. Yeah. So that's how I started developing. Whenever I came back into the business years later into poo I said, I'm just going to freaking have fun because if I can lose everything, at least if it's all gone, I have a good time. Yeah, you can enjoy your life a little bit. And, and I was in integrity with myself. I didn't compromise. I didn't overize. I didn't sell out. The problem I see with a lot of, especially women when they take on money, is there's a lot of selling out. Selling out of their ideas for what people want, you know, they end up not owning their company. Blah 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 blah. Because a lot of that is, and that's the reason I've never taken investment now, is because I want control of my idea. I know I'm a pleaser, and I know I would try to get back their money no matter what. Mm-hmm. And the compromises I would make in order to do that, I'm not willing to do. Mm-hmm. I'm Ariel Laurie, host of the Blonde Files podcast, where every Wednesday I cover all things wellness. After nearly dying from drugs and alcohol six years ago, I've been on a mission to live my best, most fulfilled life, and I'm sharing everything with you. From
0: how to achieve optimal health, well-being, and fulfillment, to the best beauty tips and even cosmetic procedures, I cover it all with raw, candid conversations with experts and inspirational guests. You can follow along with everything over on Instagram at Ariel Laurie and make sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. So at what point did your spiritual journey like what was that aha moment where you're like, okay, I have to dig deeper and get something else here because what you're doing wasn't working.
1: Yeah, so after after the second bankruptcy, I put on Disturbed. You know that band, like, blah, blah.
0: yeah. I, I read that everything. and I was
1: like, I love that. <laughs> I did. I put on, you know, I think back then it was probably a Walkman, you know, I put on that and I like started painting my house. I just had anger and rage. And a friend said, You need to go find a therapist or something because you are one pissed off woman. Mm-hmm. So I went to a hypnotherapist. And, uh, he says, the problem is you have no meaning in your life. I said, what are you talking about? Like I have kids. He goes, no, he goes, you don't really have anything to hang on to here. So he gave me a book, um, by Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning. I don't know if you've read it.
0: Um, it's on my bookshelf, <laughs> but I haven't read it. Yeah.
1: You should read it. It's really, it's, it's the. First book I tell anybody to read mm. because the the quick story is that Viktor Frankl um, was in um, you know, he was in the Holocaust and he was a psychologist and what he observed was that there wasn't this hierarchy of needs like for example it wasn't sex that's driving people it wasn't food it wasn't you know these things what he realized is that if someone didn't have meaning beyond the camps that they would die. For Mm -hmm. example, meaning is a higher power, family on the other side. He kept alive because he knew he had discovered this work and wanted it to live out into the world. So Mm -hmm. he had a purpose, okay? Um, And he saw that people that didn't have a purpose, if all their family had been killed and they had no faith, that they would die. Mm -hmm. So it's just a fascinating story about we have to have some sort of meaning. That meaning is what gives us that thing to hold on to. Mm-hmm. So after my second bankruptcy, that's the reason I say I literally lost everything. I had nothing to hold on to anymore. Mm-hmm. I was barely hanging on to my family with my fingernails.
0: You How know? old were your children at this point?
1: Let's see, I was 38. So my youngest daughter was eight, like eight, 13 and 15.
0: I mean, yeah. that 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 dynamic to me just, I mean, my heart just goes out to all yeah. of you in that moment, just thinking what the hell am I going to do for my kids? Your kid's looking at mom like, shit, mom's losing it. <laughs> you know, that yeah, totally. whole dynamic oh, must yeah. just be fascinating. And,
1: and I hid everything from them.
0: Oh yeah. And then, mm-hmm.
1: and then I say, you know, like years later, I remember giving a talk and my daughter was in the audience and she had no, no idea, idea. No idea? No idea any of this had ever happened. And I said, you know what's worse? What, you know you're in a really bad place. When you lie to the people that love you the most,
0: yeah, but that's a lot for an eight-year-old and a thirteen-year-old to take on, don't you think?
1: It is, but I still just swept it up like, yeah, hey, we're you, fine. We need to move closer to downtown. We're all, <laughs> you know, into a little tiny house in an old school, but that's what we're doing, you know. It, you know, yes, I was trying to protect them. On the other hand, I really taught them to cover up a lot.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So we've all had a lot of unwinding. I think
0: that's a little bit also of how we're all used to growing up. Like my mom was always covering things up and always creating a story to make sure everything was fine for everyone. Not because she's an asshole, but because she just wanted to protect all, you know, quote unquote, protect all of us.
1: Exactly. But what happens is you grow up in deceit, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you don't trust people. And you always think something's going on because it is. Or you become
0: one of those people who, like, I went through this when I had my first serious relationship where you white lie, but it's it's grown up as like a part of your family culture and you don't realize how detrimental that is to your businesses and your relationships.
1: Exactly. This is what I'm talking about. Those are those what I call overrides and compromises. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, oh, it'll be fine. You know, they won't know. They want like all of those add up Mm -hmm. and to where you don't like yourself as a person. Absolutely. And I saw all that puking up ayahuasca years later, you know, like, oh, okay.
0: Ooh, I want to talk about that because I haven't done that yet. And that's something I've been wanting yeah. to do. Okay. So you read this book, which by the way, was assigned to us my senior year of high school because I went to Catholic school and it was all, our senior year was about finding faith and having a higher purpose.
1: Oh, wow. I know. Yeah. I do believe that it is one thing that we're really lacking, um, You know, I like I said, I'd abandoned any concept of a higher power. I'm like, screw it, I got it. I don't know. I won't get into I'm not a religious person at all. Mm -hmm. But you know, you look out at the magic of the world like all this is an accident, you know? So anyway, um it is something that I hold on to and have faith in. This is something bigger than myself so that I can become small again. Otherwise, I'm an arrogant asshole that thinks I'm...
0: That is the difference is once you understand how small you are yes. and how really insignificant you really are, because then yeah. the ego goes away and then you're yes. able to really move forward with... You know what I, what I really like that I think um, the guys who... Do you know the guys who started Sweetgreen? Yeah. They, the mantra of their company is passion and purpose. Oh, I love it. Isn't that great? That's how yes. they run their whole business model yes. is passion and purpose you guys would all love each other. They're the only other people that I've met besides reading about you that are leading these large companies with passion, purpose, grace. It's yeah. it's not a money hungry abyss of growth. It's, we're going to keep doing this as long as it makes sense and it's purposeful. That's it.
1: Yeah. That's the only thing. That's My goal is to lay my head down at night in peace.
0: Yeah. Which is... Yeah. So where did you start? You read the book and then you just kind of did a deep dive into everything a little bit, right?
1: I read the book and then I started studying multiple forms of religion. I was raised really conservative Christian, Church of Christ, where you're going to go to hell basically if you wear shorts or if you dance. So you were screwed from the get-go, you know? Um, there's just no way you're not going to hell. Everybody's going to hell except Church of Christ. And then you're still going to hell. So anyway, you're screwed. Your whole thing is you're just screwed. So um, was it wasn't very appealing to me. Oh my God. <laughs> So I started studying Buddhism and I was a Kabbalist com- for a couple of years. I you know,
0: mm-hmm. wore the red string. Oh, uh, we all went through that. <laughs> yeah.
1: And Hinduism. And I was just like studying these religions and I started seeing a theme and a pattern and like, oh, hold on. A lot of these have the same story that there's a higher power, you mm-hmm. know, that we're in service, that there's something bigger than us. And I had that moment where um, a feng shui person had told me like that that the house I lived in was a death and destruction. My husband wanted it. I hated it. I, w- I felt like I was going to die there. And I was so out of control within myself. Like I would literally wouldn't make a phone call unless the numerology was right. Okay. Like I, yeah. was, I was moving my bed every month for feng shui. Like, no power within yeah. my head. You know? So I um, got Byron Katie's book, Loving What Is, devoured it.
0: Yeah, that's a must-have for everybody.
1: Yeah, two weeks later, was in her workshop, went in drinking a big bottle of Yellowtail Chardonnay a night (laughs) and came out and was completely sober for 10 years. And now I've been sober again, but I don't have an addiction problem, but I feel better not ingesting any of those chemicals in my body. Yeah. But I walked out and just was like free for the first time in my life. It's because this... This craziness had settled down a lot. I removed a lot of my victim mentality. I was mm-hmm. really a victim the first 38 years of my life. Mm-hmm. Like, this is happening to me. PI say it's like being on a double black diamond, losing a ski, and you're already at the velocity of just crashing. So you just tumble, tumble, tumble. So I was literally like screwing myself and, you know, just like blah, 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 all the way down. And then I started realizing, like, hold on, I had something to do with this. Like mm-hmm. what? Yeah. Okay. Even the abuse of marriage? Like what? Like mm-hmm. you mean I, I, I have a little control here. So I started really claiming back my power and my freedom by realizing that I have a lot more choices and that I had more to do with that. This can sometimes be um, people don't love this or like you were sexually molested. You know, what did you have to do with that? I found power, Pia, in knowing that I could have said no. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. Now, that's not to condone behavior or to say that, that I was raised in a mindset where I didn't know I had that power, but just to know that had I been raised, I had that option started giving me back power, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I just slowly started getting my power back, piece after piece after piece. And then I was sitting at home, listening to Gangaji all day, crying. I was rich inside. I'd found peace for the first time in my life. No desire for money. Mm-hmm. I was like, as long as I've got food on the table, I'm great, you know, and really, truly happy.
0: Then of course, the idea for poopery comes, right?: <laughs> Is't it amazing how things come uh, yeah. when you don't I say this about marriage, re- relationship, jobs, when you are happy and settled, it fucking comes always.
1: It comes, you know, And because you're
0: op- you're available for it. The universe, whatever it is, says you have, you are ready. 100%. I, bring, I bring you this
1: gift. I bring you this gift and, uh, so cool. Yeah. So that's how I got started with poo I had no zero desires to be in business again. I'd given it up. I thought business was what made me miserable, mm. but I created this product and it's like having a child and I wanted to show it to the world.
0: That's so this- the only
1: reason I went
0: forward. This came from a conversation at a dinner party, correct?
1: At a dinner party, yeah. We were at my brother-in-law's house for a family gathering and he had one bathroom and it was right off the living room and kitchen. Yeah. And we were talking about bathroom odor. <laughs> he actually said, can bathroom odor be trapped? And I immediately saw it. I just I were, My hobby was essential oils. Oh. And I literally saw oil floating on water. I got it. This is it. And I just knew it. So I worked nine months developing the formula not to have a business, but just to birth what I saw yeah. and to make, to make it work. I knew it could work. And everybody, every single person thought I was crazy. My family, my neighbors, I would get them in to test it. I'd be like, do you got to go to the bathroom? You know, they'd be like, what are you talking about? I'd be like, number one or number two. You know, like I really need to test this. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, of course, it's funny that everybody loves it. So I often say, don't run around telling everybody your idea and getting input into it. Unless, like, right right now I'm going to get in the cookie business, and I am saying, does this cookie taste good? But, (laughs) um, you know, generally speaking, people don't understand what hasn't been created before.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and then almost getting too many opinions can kind of make you second guess yourself and kind of get you off track, right? It does. Okay, so you invent this formula. Yep. And then I'm assuming, did you raise money to put into production? You did all this yourself.
1: Yeah, we started with $25,000. My brother-in-law and I were partners at the beginning. And we were profitable the first month in business. I knew not to raise money. We got a SBA loan for $25,000. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And I just started rolling. And six months into it, he wanted to slow down. And I knew we had something. So we had a, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, I bought him out. And, uh, you know, I'd done everything. I formulated it. You know, I named it. I branded it. I was selling it. I did everything. His job was he was supposed to run operations and Mm -hmm. accounting. And um, I was really running operations. I was shipping out of my house. So really, it was just that tension. I was like, I'm not slowing down. So you either take the company or I'm taking it because it's going. Mm Mm-hmm. And I bought him out and uh, first year did a million dollars. And I'll tell you, so what I did instead of getting financing, I called one of my friends who's an investor. And I said, I think I need money. This was the first Christmas. And I said, I don't know how I, I don't have enough funds to, to buy inventory for you know Christmas, for the holidays. And he said, don't get an investor. Keep your company as long as you can and just figure it out. So I called my manufacturers. And I just said, Hey, here's the deal. You know, I just started, I need help. I had 30 day terms. I'm like, can I get 90 day terms or 120 Mm. just to get me through the holidays? And they ended up partnering with me and they said, you know what? You pay for the raw materials. We'll make the goods. We'll hold an inventory and we won't charge you until you sell it. So basically they were funding me. Like we partnered, we partnered in the funding and I'm still with them today.
0: So." P- that pivot is so essential. My husband has his own business mm-hmm. that we started from, our, and yeah, we don't have money and we're. Con- and I'm always like, there's a way to negotiate this, call your factory, ask them if yes. they want. You know, I was like, we got to just find a way around this because people don't know. You can push back and say those terms don't work for me.
1: Yes. And people don't understand that. You don't know. I used to spend every Friday advising women. I opened my Fridays and I would say, women, i first come. I quit it. Because I'm like, these women don't listen. They oh. do not listen. I would look at their finances. I would go, you don't need money. You need strategy. Mm-hmm. Go do this. Go sell this. Get bigger terms. Gear. Get that there. Money's not going to solve your problems. They would take you know, $3 million in funding from 13 men. And I, and I said, okay, oh. but you're going to call me in probably eight months and tell me you need money. I'd get the phone call eight or nine months later. Hey, Susie. What, you need more money? Yeah, okay, you know what? Now you're going to sell more of your company. You know, so it's like, it's really pretty simple. You've just got to look and ask people to partner with you Mm -hmm. because people really want you to make it. The number one thing in business, I don't think people know, is people want you to make it. There's yeah. all this belief that fear and competition, everybody's trying to take you out. And that's not in my experience. I mean, that has happened. You know, I sued a $50 billion company because they knocked me off a few years ago, but um, I fought like hell, right? But it's not, generally speaking, my overall experience is people want to partner and help you. They want you to succeed. Yeah. They want to be a They want to be a part of your success
0: story, right? Absolutely. And I think assuming the opposite is uh, creating like a fear-based scenario for yourself anyway, that everyone's out to get me and I have to... I
1: know. I I lived too many years in fear.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's... What's
1: the difference in that fear and the fear of I'm going to go to hell for wearing shorts?
0: (laughs) I agree with that wholeheartedly because you're just living it's guilt and... You're building walls for yourself. It's yeah. funny because I'm my poor husband keeps losing faith in his business and I hear it we will go to bed and he'll just go, and I'll be like, honey, there's a purpose for all this. And he goes, God forgot about me. I'm like, he didn't forget.
1: <laughs> 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 I was in line and he hasn't given me my share.
0: <laughs> he grew up super Catholic. He grew up in Sicily, you know, so it's so funny. Oh, so no. a lot of what, you know, mm-hmm. what I read about you, I feel like we have like a similar vibration, right? And he, yeah. and he's just like lost it. So I'm constantly over here like, you got to pay me for this, for this motivational speech I'm giving you every totally. four seconds. But I don't think people. I mean, it is having your own company is. It can be an absolute. Disaster nightmare. I mean, it's exhausting. It's the hardest thing in the world to be an entrepreneur.
1: That's why you better have purpose and meaning, and it better be alive within you, or you're not going to have the energy.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, it's like having a child. Most mothers, you know, majority of mothers, you're going to make it no matter what kind of circumstance you're in because of the love of that child. mm -hmm. So if it's not born of passion and purpose, you're never going to withstand it. That's the reason I believe that most businesses fail. Is because again, like the .dot com, it was a good idea, but it wasn't like like something alive within me, like poopery was.
0: Yeah. So that aha moment of okay, is amazing. Then it starts selling, which I can't. I mean, how did you even initially like? Where did you go to sell it? Like off the bat, do you go to like a store and you're telling like how do you initially sell this idea?
1: No, so I initially, well, I just knew that, you know, really word of mouth. I knew I didn't have money for marketing, so word of mouth was my big, biggest, and it still is your biggest marketing advantage. And I'd had like 12 people test it, and I built uh, my ex husband, my husband at the time, it was really good at building websites from all my side hustle businesses. Amazing. So he <laughs> built a little horrible looking website, it was so bad. And I just asked my friends, those 12 friends, I said, Hey, you've tried this product. you love it? Do you mind sending this out to a few of your friends? And then a radio station got oh, it brilliant. from a friend. And then one of my friends calls and says, Hey, um, my boyfriend that has a store. He sells, uh, would you sell wholesale to him? And I'm like, well, what does that entail? And he said, well, he has to have a, you know, 50% or double markup. So I doubled my prices so I could have them at retail. Oh, okay. And sold my first order um, to retail, to a retail store, a little gift shop. The next day, someone called and said, hey, my friend Harold you know, bought a product. Can can I buy it too? And the next day, Basket Case called and said, hey, my friend Joanne bought a product. So it really kept going word of mouth. Um, What I tell people, we don't need any more good products in the world. We only need amazing products. You don't tell people, you know, when somebody goes, how was that restaurant? You go, it was good. Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to go, Pia, right? But if no. they go, oh my God, the appetizer, like, blah, 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 you're going to go to the restaurant. So right now we're so inundated. I'm a capitalist, you know, I believe in capitalism at a point. Mm-hmm. I hate that we're a conscious capitalist, but I believe that we should be an integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then integrity is not putting out more good stuff in the world because we got a lot of shit in the world. We don't need anymore. What we need are things that freaking move the bar, move the needle that are great, that are born with passion, purpose, and grace, that are good for everyone involved, the environment, the people, the planet, and you can mm-hmm. have it all and do it all. Other than that, just stop
0: it. Which is also why you launched your other Brilliant company, which I can't get my hands on any of those damn cleaning sprays. They like sold out
1: so fast. Okay, we're going to send you
0: some. No, well, will thank trust. you because I'm we're a chemical toxic free household too. So Yeah, oh, good. So, okay, sorry, skipping forward. So you bought him out and then now you've grown this into what? I mean, how many, how many pooperies do you think you sell? A year at this point, how many are you made? How many are you manufacture? I don't know. I've
1: sold ninety million bottles. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty fun when you think about the trajectory of the story. And I never imagined it. I still don't imagine it. I'm still like, what? What? Like that's happening? So it's I'm surprised every moment. I've never had a business plan. I don't really have any kind of I just keep, you know, like do you have a business plan for a child. I would say, yeah. you're
0: limiting yourself if you have some sort of plan because then you can't pivot when you need to. Like yeah. doubling the price was a, your brilliant move. Negotiating with your factory. That's yeah. not going to go in anyone's business plan.
1: No. And the business plans are only based on the past. Yeah. And if we are innovating and creating new stuff in the future, there's nothing to compare it to or to. Sure, you can have learnings from past, but also they're very limiting you know, it's like, I believe in impossible things happening and impossibility doesn't go into a business plan. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> here's the, we're doubling this. A, here's the impossibility factor. We're putting exactly. this in. They're like, you're crazy.
1: That Crawl can't happen.
0: Three. It's like, just sit back and watch me. Okay. <laughs> How many years after you launched, did those brilliant viral commercials launch?
1: Yeah, about eight or nine years in, um, I was already selling to like 10,000 or 15,000 gift shops, had a cult following. We were doing probably eight or $10 million a year. You were already at that point? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I, you know, I was spending, I had a great life. I was spending 12 weeks a year on Maui, a couple million a year, you know, in the bank. I had a really nice life. Everybody loved the product, everything's happy. And then I have this like gut feeling. People started knocking me off a little bit. In the, I saw
0: that, by the way.
1: And the gift industry. And I was like you know what, it's time to get on with it. Like we really got to get on with it. I knew I couldn't afford traditional advertising. First of all, we didn't have the distribution like shark tank wanted me on. And, you know, and I'm like, so what I get into shark tank and I'm only being sold in these little gift shops. Unless you have distribution, that doesn't help you a lot and distribution. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the mass stores, Target, Bed Bath & Beyond, CBS, Walgreens, that's when you can really capitalize on that advertising. So I knew that I didn't have that. And, um, I found uh, I just found, about, found out about YouTube marketing. And I'm like, oh, this is rebel and rogue. Like mm-hmm. back then it was, no one was doing it. in uh, CPG consumer products. So um, yeah, down and dirty, made a video, built a website, camped out in Sundance for two weeks, cost me $35,000. The guys I did it with were like, you know that this is not going to go viral. It's not going to go viral. Okay, okay, okay. So we had no systems in place. We were just testing the video online to see if it was uh, being, you know, you can test like several versions. You can yeah. test like 25 versions at once. And we were, it's called a reverse funnel. Um, I actually spoke about this at Google, but basically you put lots of options, you know, uh, beginning, ending, and you, you have sort of a core center, but you can test beginning and endings and you keep testing and whittling it down to the video that converts the best, Right. And conversion meaning people buy, click, yeah. buy now, put it in their cart, and give you a credit card number.
0: So you were just um, putting little videos out there and seeing which ones were performing and then piecing those together into one. Yes. God damn, and that's brilliant. Yeah. Then
1: Reddit got it in one night, Reddit, BuzzFeed, and then it was just like, holy shit. Like We did not have our website hooked up to our um, order system. Oh, so God. Oh yeah, we had all these orders. <laughs> so we were doing $8 million a year. Within two days, we had sold all of our inventory and we're $4 million in back order. Unbelievable. Yeah, I get chills still right now because it was like, I was just sitting there like, like, what the hell are we going to do? And I'm reading all these emails and like a week later, people are like, where's my product? You've stolen yeah. my money. Every one of those emails was like a- Shit. Like, yeah. you're a whore. like a stab in my heart. I went from Happy World to- holy shit, we're screwed. And that's when I learned about just being... We were always honest. That's when I learned radical honesty. I literally sent out an email and said, we got caught with our pants down. We don't, <laughs> have, the, we don't have the inventory. We're, st- we're spending 23 hours a day and putting orders. I don't know when you're going to get your product, honestly. Yeah. And I'll give you your money back. And we only had like maybe three. I was about
0: to say, nobody wanted their money back, right? Like three
1: or something. They were like, oh, it's so great, you know? And that's when I learned to really be radically honest with your consumer. Just let them know what's going on. Hey, we screwed up, you know?
0: Vulnerability.
1: Vulnerability, yeah. And people loved it. And that was six years ago. So we've just been rolling since. And now we've sold 90 million bottles and still keep trucking, you know? I'm surprised every moment.
0: Well, I think everyone should know that you own 97% of the company and the other 3% your children own, huh?
1: Yes, yes. And we have no loans and I have no investor. Yeah, no investors, no loans. We're debt-free, um, which is nice. We have a line of credit that we tap into. We're tapped into it right now because nobody's paying their bills because of COVID. Yeah, of course. But but we have no like loans out. There's no debt on the company.
0: Isn't that unbelievable? Hasn't it been fascinating for you to watch how quickly companies crumbled during this crisis? Within two weeks, I'm just looking around like how from a business, obviously nobody can prepare themselves for this, but how are you so cash poor, but spending so much money?
1: Because they're, I'll tell you, the biggest mistake that people make is I have to have the big offices. I have to have the flash. I have to have all the employees. I have to. So they're, they're le- it's the same way. It's the same thing happened to me when I was 38. Mm-hmm. I put all our money into com. We were making it. We were that, you know, I had the big house, the Range Rover, the Mercedes. I was making my payments. But boy, once the stock market crashed, I'm screwed, right? So mm-hmm. you don't, the reason I'm debt-free now is because when this happens I'm like I'm still good right yeah, uh-huh. I have not put myself into a very vulnerable position most companies think I have to scale that's such a myth I should write a book with the damn myths of business I got to scale and I got to scale fast it's like
0: why why I remember working for reformation what you know when when all these big companies started launching all these like disruptive I was like Glossier reformation all these I remember VCs coming into the office all the time or hearing all my peers have these conversations like, well, we have to grow because we have to show the VCs that we have massive growth and we have to hire this person from this business school. And I was watching all this happen. And obviously it worked for a lot of companies, but I just thought to myself, like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you have to spend more money to get someone to want to to sell off a chunk of your company to somebody else? Why wouldn't you just want to own all of that? Because it's working now. Yes, yeah. It was always so confusing to me.
1: It's that whole, you know, you heard that parable or whatever about the, the fisherman and the guy comes up and he's like, you know, he's catching his fish and then he's laying and resting. And he's like, you know, if you got two fishing poles, you'd be able to catch twice as many fish. Mm-hmm. You know? and he's like, well, why would I do that? You know, so he ends up going, and then if you got a big commercial boat, then you could help sell millions of fish. And he goes, why would I do that? And he's like, so that you can rest and relax. And he's like, well, I'm doing that now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I believe what happens is there's this myth and this chase that I have to be a billionaire. I have to have this big global exposure. I'm going to get eaten alive. And I actually believe the opposite. I believe that you have to have passion purpose. (laughs) You have to do it gracefully. You have to do it kindly. You have to create a solid foundation underneath you. And the more solid you are underneath you, like you're you're less vulnerable to these sort of, you know, I mean, you're not going to collapse during COVID.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, so,
1: and also strategy. People, you know, one of my friends, Marie Forleo, and uh, I, I called it I called it the figure outer muscle. She calls it everything's figure outable. <laughs> Big, figure outer muscle. That's what I call it. It's like, good, yeah. The more you get yourself out of shit, the more your figure outer muscle is stronger, right? It's like, <laughs> hold on, people, there's a way out. <laughs> get that figure outer muscle. So the more... And I also tell people, Pia, like, I'm like, if you don't like solving problems, don't be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Because that's all you're doing day after day after day. You know, it's the difference between being a track runner and being a hurdler, right? Like, if you just want to run a track, get a job. And also, I
0: think that's fine because I think everyone now thinks that they're supposed to have some big... My niece is 16. She's so beautiful. And all the girls at her school, they always want me to come speak or they want me to do this. And the the questions that they ask me, well, if I want to have a startup by the time I graduate college, how, what internship do I need now? And I'm like, you've completely lost the track. Yeah. You're doomed now. It's, 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 I think there's so much pressure as women now to be a cool mom, to be fit, to be thin, to have really good hair, shiny nails, and to just casually launch a Fortune 500 company on your own.
1: I know it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I actually, my senior VP um, had a baby two years ago and she wanted to come back to work and I called her and I said, "Um, Nicole, I don't know if I want you to come back to work. One of my biggest regrets is leaving my children, leaving Mm -hmm. my children, you know, having to. And I said, you know, people say you can have it all. And I said, that's not my experience the way we're doing it. Mm -hmm. So I made a deal with her. I said, what if we get you a nanny and have you bring the baby to the office if you really want to come back? So she spent, yeah, Lucy spent her first year of her life in our office. There's some complexities around that now, you know, laws. We've got our second baby in there right now. So we're looking at all of that. But um, I don't believe women can have it all the way we've been doing it. And I do believe we can create new systems where we can have more of what we want.
0: It should be more of what we want and not have it all. I think it's an unrealistic expectation. You're setting it, yourself up to fail. And why? And where's your office located? In Dallas. Oh, it is in yeah. Dallas.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in Dallas. It's in Addison, North Dallas. Um, And we have just a sweet, cool vibe company. You know, it's all about, you know, yes, we have real world problems and things. You know, we lost a lot of money first quarter because of COVID, but we really quickly, within a month, got in the hand sanitizer business. Now Poopery is making a hand sanitizer and we sell millions of bottles. So the good thing about being small and agile and not huge is that you can pivot really quickly.
0: How many people are in your office? Uh, we have about 69. That's wonderful. Mhm. And you have 69 69- More people and more money do not solve any problem. You have 69 people who know their job and are doing it fabulously rather than trying to figure it out or have to do this. I love yeah. that. That's yeah. brilliant.
1: Yeah, it's funny. People are like, you know, oh, I'm overworked as I see them walk back and forth to the coffee machine. <laughs> oh, my hair's on my hair's on fire. I'm like your hair's not on fire, okay? <laughs> I know what hair on fire looks like. That's not it. <laughs> oh God, it must, <laughs> so you no, must. you don't need an
0: assistant. <laughs> working for you must be unbelievable because there's really isn't anything you haven't been through. So you're kind of like, I don't feel bad for you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I remember when I was watching The Crown. I came back, and then I think the next one was Victoria. You know, and I come into the mm-hmm. office, and I get all my millennial women. I go, "Here's the deal." There are women that run countries at 16 years old. Yep. You are 25. I don't want to hear about all your problems and that you're overworked and can't handle the responsibility because that's BS. Yeah. A lot of women before us that prove that we can and they're all just sitting there going, okay, (laughs) come on, toughen up, let's go.
0: (laughs) Well, I think that's such a healthy way to speak to employees. I was talking about this yesterday with someone that I grew up in New York working. I mean, I worked for Kelly Catrone, who was a very intimidating PR woman. There was, you know, I worked 14, 15 hour days. I got yelled at. She would scream at me across off. What the fuck are you doing? I lived in the back of the showroom. So obviously that's not a healthy way to work or live. But I do think that encouraging your employees to keep it fucking moving and get some grit is a good, healthy thing
1: keep it moving. Yeah. Take some risk. We're not always, I have a rule. Like we take risk. We're not always going to win, but we, the only rule is we have to win more than we lose. Ooh,
2: and it's, I, it's okay. I, to, I like it's, o,
1: it's okay to lose. You're yeah. not going to hit every shot. You just got to hit more in mm-hmm. so that, but you can't go big unless you don't take risk.
0: I love and, that.
1: We, and we take calculated risk. For example, there's a test called Colby, K O L B E. Mm-hmm. It's an instinct test. I'm the highest risk profile, literally, like I'm a 10 in risk. My CFO is a two. So we balance, that's right? That's nice, yeah. Like, that's the reason I have money, right? It's like, you don't want me handle it. Look what I've done in the past. <laughs> let's get real. I'm like, let's throw it all on red. <laughs> <You know>?
0: <laughs> <laughs> but that's another. Brilliant observation that I think is super important is to know what you're not good at and hire the people who are better at it because everyone thinks they should do everything. Yeah, my first, uh, my first hire
1: was an assistant and my second hire was a bookkeeper. And people were like, even my fulfillment company at the time was like, you know, you've just started your business. You really think you can afford a bookkeeper? And I just looked at him and I go, I hate it that much. Like, I hate it.
0: Nightmare, couldn't, yeah, no.
1: Nightmare, <laughs> why, why would I put my, why would I do something I hate. And then you're going to resent the company. Right. Well, I would rather do something I'm good at. So that's another mistake. I think that especially women entrepreneurs do, they try to do everything Mm
0: -hmm.
1: instead of investing in people. And that doesn't, again, we're not talking hundreds of people, invest in one bookkeeper. If you hate accounting,
0: Mm -hmm. you know, even
1: outsource it. So put these systems in place where you can do what you do best Mm -hmm. and you're going to be stronger and happier.
0: So what are you working on now? Well, <laughs> working on a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot of interest about my story being told. So that's why I'm spending a lot of time here in LA and in Hollywood. So we're really scripting out um, writing a book and um, really scripting out some screenplays. We have people that are interested in doing series, blah, 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 talking to lots of people. So I'm exploring that world. I've got a couple of new businesses on the um, slate since Corona's happened. Um, this out has sort of, um, developed some new ideas. So one of them is cookies. So, um, that literally happened like three weeks ago. I've already found a manufacturer that are probably be based in Austin.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So, you know,
1: I'm just always got a lot going on.
0: That's brilliant.
1: And it's all fun for me. It's fun. Yeah. You Cause know, now
0: I- you're, this is just like, you can find the companies that you think reflect your purpose, right? Totally. Totally.
1: And for me, I'm a creator. I'm a maker. So I'm not going to stop making, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just what I do. I have an idea that feels exciting. I love putting it into the world. Whether it's a marketing campaign or a product doesn't really matter to me. I love just taking an idea and bringing it into physical form. That's also why I'm not attached to whether it works or not. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it works, sometimes it doesn't. Because to me, it's just the process of doing it that's fun. It's like, I'm I'm an artist. It's my art you know, it's just the way I create. Yeah.
0: And tell me about what you've been doing recently as these like workshops that you've oh. been doing with other women. Yeah. So let's back
1: up to me sitting at home, crying, listening to Gangaji every day, being in peace. I was rich inside. So I wrote this course called Inside Out, How to Create a Life You Desire by Going Within. Mm-hmm. And it was an abundance course. Mm-hmm. I had five women. Uh, one of my friends was a psychologist. And we had, held them in her office every week after hours. And I had five women in the course. Nobody finished it. And I remember being a little confused. Like, and I was like, oh, I haven't made money the way they think. I was rich. And my, I knew I was rich. And I was yeah. like, oh, and I mean rich. I'm talking about real wealth, happiness, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, peace within your being. So then poo started, um, and a few months ago, J.P. Sears, he's my heart coach, he asked me, he said, the cave you fear holds the treasure you seek. It's a Carl Jung quote. Have you heard that one? No. Yeah. So the cave you fear um, holds the treasure you seek, something like that. And he said, what's that thing that terrifies you so much that you're scared to even utter out of your mouth mm. that you really want? Mm-hmm. And well, I guess this was probably a year ago, and I'm snot crying, and I say I'm a I'm a global spiritual leader. I get those words out like, oh, how dare me, right? And I mean I'm snot crying, via like like terrified going. Wow, how how who do you think you are? All that shit is in yeah. there, right? We get through that, and he goes, okay. So what's your action step? I look over. And my ex-husband had brought a bunch of crap from our old attic. And there's that binder of that course sitting on my desk. No, Yeah. And I went, I'm going to rewrite there this There you course. go. Mm-hmm. So I was running an entrepreneur group in my house um, once a month with these women entrepreneurs. And I asked them, I said, are any of you willing to do a project with me? I want to rewrite this course. And I called it a live OS, a live operating system, because you're actually upgrading your your human operating system to to be more alive. 25 women went through lives drastically changed. So now I'm taking it online. It's the first time that I'm doing it. um, And I feel really excited about it. It uh, starts May 7th. It's going to be $2,000 in the future. I probably won't even be teaching it or probably be an online course with mentors um, I'm teaching this one. We've reduced the price to 500 and all the profits are going to COVID. Nice. Yeah. And we had over 650 people apply already. I don't know how many people I'll let into the course. I think mm-hmm. we're going to max it at 100 But yeah, I just feel excited and turned on and alive by it.
0: Oh, well, so, this is a first step to a really big new path for you, huh?
1: It's a first step to a really big new path. Yeah. That's exciting. And what's really fun also, let's back up to like writing my story and the people that want to do my story, they get a part of it, like the New Yorker article, mm-hmm. but this really is a story of a spiritual reclamation. It's reclaiming those parts of yourself. So that is, it's really a story of spirituality. It's yep. not even a story of rags to riches, like who gives a shit, you know, how much yeah, money of I have. It's like, great. But I know right now, if, if you gave me a backpack with you know, a shirt and a pant and a pair of sneakers and, be fine. and an ID, like I'm going to make it. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I have that uh, foundation within myself that I didn't have when I was 38.
0: And how are your kids doing?
1: Oh my God, they're amazing. Yeah. My son, my older son, he's 32. He's helping me with the businesses. He's an amazing creative, Um, my middle son, CJ, he does microgreen farming and my daughter's an artist in Brooklyn. Wow. Yeah. They're all creative.
0: That's so Um, cool.
1: Yeah. And they're all doing different things and different people. And yeah, they're amazing. They're, they're healing. You know, our family's done a lot of healing. The Mm -hmm. truth is you can't have that kind of life that I've lived and not create some impact on people. Mm -hmm. Um, but what they know is they've seen me heal, and they know that that's possible. That's beautiful. And that's all I can do is say, you know what, honey, that's your job. I love you. I'm here to hear anything, mm-hmm. and it's your job to heal.
0: I end all the podcasts by asking, um, "What is your morning routine?"
1: Oh, my morning routine. I bet you well, have a good one. I do. I get up, and the first thing I do is have a tea, um, like ritual. I make a tea, like with a kettle and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, do that process. Then I meditate. And then I do some sort of journaling or writing. Um, that's usually when I'm most creative. And then I move my body. Right now, I've been doing Zoom. My, I have two different trainers. I do either hit training three days a week, like a high intensity.
0: That's what I do and, too.
1: Yeah. And then I have another trainer that um, does three days a week that's just movement. It's just more fluidity because mm-hmm. you know I don't want to be all hard. So I balance both of that. And then, so my morning is about three hours. I love that. And then I'm ready to start working.
0: <laughs> so what time do you wake up?
1: I wake, uh, you know, I've been waking up later since I've been here in California, which is weird. Shouldn't I be waking up earlier? I don't know for the time change. Um, I wake up here about
0: 6.30. Oh, wow. I mean, that's still early.
1: Oh, no. And at home, I wake up at 6.30. I wake up around 5.30 or 6 at home, uh, like yeah. in Dallas. Yeah, and then I'm usually at the office by 10. Here I've been waking up at 6.30 and I'm ready to rumble at about 10. This was a little bit early for me.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: But I really believe that we have to set that morning just to give the theme. You know, just that that settles me through the day. Doing meditation, my tea, my journaling, and then let's go moving.
0: When I don't do that, I'm... Uh, the day just doesn't have a foundation. And I kind of, my journal's next to my bed. I wake up, I say my prayer and I have to journal because otherwise I'm just, uh, it's also good to get all those extra thoughts out of your head. So you're focused. Yes, yes, I know. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I've been mm. a big fan and you're obviously just like the coolest woman on the fucking planet. So.
1: <laughs> Thank you. You too. I love that <laughs> we had so much resonance and so much in common.
0: I know when I started reading about you, well, I was, you're the company has been such a I'm telling you it's in every bathroom and then there's backstock in like our garage. In case oh, we run out. Good. Yeah. Like my, and my mom is, she just dies for you. And so even, you know, when I read the New Yorker article, I just thought, oh gosh, there's a lot of, I like, I see you. You know what I mean? It wasn't like this weird story to me. I was like, I see her so clearly. So, oh, wow. That really
1: touched me. I got a little teary. Thank you. Oh,
0: of course. Thank you so much. I'm
1: just honored sweet. you
2: took the time.
1: Yeah. Thank you for
0: having me. What an honor. Hello, Davide. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us again.
2: Thank you for having me. All
0: right. Let's get right into it. Dear Pia and Davide. Recently, my boyfriend woke up looking clearly distressed. I tried to comfort him, but it didn't seem to help. I even got up and made us coffee. Usually he's the one to do that while I sleep in. But he continued on the rest of the day, not looking at me and only saying one or two words, mostly mumbling. He told me after a while that it wasn't about me, but that he's just in a weird headspace. Still, it bothered me that he felt like he couldn't talk to me about it. I looked this behavior up and apparently it's called stonewalling. Every article also says that stonewalling ruins relationships. Very reassuring. I'd love to know if you've ever experienced this. <laughs> it's like she knows.
2: <laughs> exactly. Current Um Is it? Is it
0: yeah. Is it? She wants to know uh, um, if we've been through this and how we get through it.
2: So without being repetitive, I think, and mentioning all the things we've been through it, I've been in that stage for a long time. I think that there are moments in the life of a man or of a woman or of of an individual that there are certain things that need to be faced by yourself. And the struggle sometimes is facing those kind of moments with somebody you love and somebody that loves you, close to you, that try to somehow being your hanker or um, save you, saving you from, from those status of mind. We had a conversation, an interesting conversation yesterday about it. Mm, I know that there are so many theory about what actually happiness look like. Um, I firmly believe that being happy is not a choice. You don't wake up in the morning and saying, oh, today I want to be happy. You know, being happy and serene is something that acquire good component, a good amount of factors around you that will make you operating and thinking and functioning as a happily serene individual. My suggestion is, um, as painful as that can be, if you don't really have found the, the the way to be part of a process with them, which is, I don't know if he's making coffee in the morning, which it, it's something, it's an attempt. If you didn't find that way to be part of a process, I will just step back for a minute and as painful as that can be, just I will let him having the space to process that.
0: I think Googling this and coming up with like a name and then defining the situation by that name and then saying that according to whatever articles that this is going to ruin a relationship. I think that's really hurtful.
2: Uh, And that's our generation disease. We Google and we try to give a name to everything. Yeah. I agree with that. And, and, and,
0: the guy needs some space. We're yeah, in quarantine. That's, that's, Life's hard.
2: That's part of that's part of the the other side of a coin. It's like everything. There is an answer about everything on Google. Yeah. Google, my dog doesn't jump when I throw him a ball. Google, my, you know, like I think, I think an organic approach to this might be your solution without necessarily giving a name to it.
0: Take it day by day. Give him space. I've learned firsthand the worst thing you could do is push someone to be loving and affectionate to you and they don't want it and there are days where people and my husband included and it's often wakes up and he's pissed and trying to process a bunch of stuff and I do think I've gotten a lot better at just being like hey love you okay like I'm gonna be over here and letting him sit in his office for a long time, you know, he needs to do- I
2: think, yeah, you're totally right. I think we don't have enough components to know why your boyfriend is acting the way. We don't know his life. We don't know what he's doing. On our personal experience, I personally have that facing personal stuff, stuff that were about me as individual, about my job, about my- uh, about my investment, about my projection of future, about who I am, about you know wh- what I'm what I'm standing for and what I'm what am I doing in this world. And Pia gracefully learn how to navigate around. Sometimes she just bulldozer me and trying to keep me out of that state of mind. And when she sees that that doesn't work, she just,
0: Back off. So relationship, I mean, listen, if you're in a relationship now, I'm guessing you're in your 20s or 30s. Like, ideally, if you marry this person, you're going to be with him until you guys die. So think about the next 50, 40 years. There's going to be a lot of days like this, relationships ebb and flow. So I wouldn't take one day and one example and Google it. And freak out about it. Give it a name and say it's going to ruin your relationship.
2: It's painful, you know. We are not trying to to yeah do you say, it, but we are not trying. Yeah, to we're not trying to undermine under, undermine you, your feeling.
0: Be a little bit lighter. Give them a little bit more empathy. Be a little bit more empathetic with yourself and take it day by day. If it's stuff he's going through, great. If he starts to do this repeatedly and it's often and it's making you feel bad about yourself, then that's selfish behavior on his end because at this, you know, at the end of the day you are still a couple and you have to be a little bit aware of, you know, how your how your actions affect your partner.
2: A suggestion I would like to give to her, the last uh, suggestion I would like to give to her. Sometimes men's more than women. I was actually not make the difference. We just find in routine some, some comfort. Routine might be the comfort zone of your man. Um, And I talk from a personal perspective, when I don't feel happy or I don't feel high, my routine really helped me going through that, that moment. And routine can be making a coffee in the morning, or it could be my laundry, or it could be my uh, I don't know, reading a magazine or doing something that might, or playing video game, doing something that might look so um, mundane. Yeah, it's like uh, let him go through his routine. That might help him to feel routine is space. Doing something that you like to do is space. It's space and time. Commute is time. Uh, doing doing your personal thing is time, and and I think that might help.
0: Good answer, babe. Hi, P and Dave. I am quarantined with my parents, and last weekend, our 14-and-a-half-year-old dog died.
2: Oh, my God. It's hard.
0: The end came very quickly. We spent the last two days with her, and she died in our home while I was holding her, about an hour before we were supposed to bring her to the vet. We've been really struggling... Grief is unfortunately nothing new for my family, and it brings up other deaths we've experienced, but I'm struggling to feel like I'm supporting them, giving attention, having a connection with my boyfriend who is quarantined elsewhere while concentrating on my job, and having time to myself to both mourn and feel and disconnect. You've been through so much, as have your mom and Davide, all while living together. Do you have any tips for creating your own space, taking care of yourself while taking care of others? I love these people all deeply but I often feel like the caretaker in my relationship and wonder who is taking care of me. Oh. Oh, that makes me emotional. Yeah. Well, first of all, we're so sorry about your dog and you're doing great and this is all very temporary and to go back to what Davide said in the last question, I do think that finding routine really helps give you that space. Okay. Kind of like what we, you know, we're, we just, before we jumped on here, we were fighting because I was over here trying to work. I worked out this morning. I needed to get work done. And then our refrigerator broke and now there's stuff all over the garage. And my mom is now working, but she's left her shit everywhere. And Davide went to go do something. And I had a meltdown because I was like, how am I supposed to clean and do my work and work out? And, you know, it's a lot.
2: It's a lot for everybody. I think, and, I think sometimes we are the best taker of ourselves. I don't know if I formulate if I formalize that you know, and correct English, but sometimes I really find comfort in my myself. Like we are so. I think our generation is also. Yeah, I am talking about our generation <laughs> problem, but I think that. We tend to always find an immediate solution for everything. The way we have access to information and to creative content, it's so immediate that we tend to act that way. Oh, I I am depressed. I need to be happy right away. Oh, I am struggling because I lost somebody or because I lost... Something I do care about. I got to replace. I got to find immediately another something that makes me feel good. There are things that just need time. And most of the time, it's really hard to find the time to process those things. When it was last time you sit down somewhere just thinking for like an hour, find yourself the time and space to deal with yourself and to take care of yourself yourself. Don't let that be somebody else or a pet job to take care of you. Start it from yourself. Take care of yourself and go through this, process this by yourself. And if you were started doing that, people around you would do the same.
0: Yeah, you gotta lead by example there. That makes sense. It does make sense.
2: sense, But I see that if during the day we are around the house and later in the afternoon, I take a book and I sit down reading, our and Pia and my mother-in-law are like, taking a little chair sitting next to me and reading something else. Or if I sketch something and I design, or I, I'm out there being creative, uh, il, il dolce far niente, the sweet, doing nothing, ozio. She's
0: I always follow, then I follow him outside, an and, and yeah, I
2: After hurting. an hour, that they are around pretending they need to do something that <laughs> will change their existence, like clear the garage, toolbox. They see the dance, and you know what? We might follow you doing this. This looks, this inspires us to be more serene and to approach whatever we are facing in a better way.
0: I think in terms of your boyfriend, You know, you obviously, if you love him and want to continue your relationship with him, I wouldn't, um, you know, I would tell him you're going through a lot. Maybe give yourself the space to mourn. So when you communicate with him, you can actually talk to him and have a more normal conversation with him instead of talking about how hard everything has been, because that can really connect you two and be an escape, a nice little escape for you. All right, let's go number three. We got to
2: get Chiro out of this room. He's snoring. It's good. It's, it's no snoring. It's a nap. It's a middle day. I
0: know, but he's snoring and people can hear it. It's nice. unprofessional. It's familiar.
2: <laughs> feels like home.
0: Okay. Mm. Hi, this B. is one of
2: those moments that I wish we had a video podcast like to show.
0: We can. Actually, people should let us know. Make a comment if you to want to. These can be very easily be YouTube videos.
2: The serenity and, and, and the... Thoughtless the thoughtlessness of the cheetahs having in the middle of the day. <laughs> <laughs> I want
0: to be him. <laughs> okay. Hi, Pia and Davide. My relationship question is, how do I manage my fear of being alone and never having been in love? <laughs> I'm 28 an architect and living in LA. I've had one boyfriend and lots of I've never heard this term. Funny, the
2: new 20, the 28 is the new 50. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm 28.
0: I know you're fine. Um, I <laughs> had one boyfriend and lots of situationships, but Perhaps I've never been should. in love.
2: How cool is that situation? It <laughs> sounds like you have the best scenario. Yeah, honestly, Do you wanna, in a layer, I'll or give a you, to I'll like, give you my house. Like, like, <laughs> it seems to be a very good scenario where you
0: are. Um, I do my best to put myself out there and I'm open to love, but for some reason it hasn't come my way. I'm really happy with who I am. And ultimately if I'm alone forever, that's okay. As I adore my family and friends. However, it would be nice to have a partner in crime. Someone to hug, laugh, bounce ideas off of and make amazing pasta and celebrate life with. Since I was young, I've always believed my true love would come, but it hasn't. What do you think? Sending love. I think you're going 28 is your Saturn return. So when did, I, when did we there,
2: meet? There is a crisis of the 27, 28 years it's, old. It's, when you think that you are not the young and you're still yeah. mess around and you are not the old to settle <laughs> down. So you want the limbo situation.
0: The Saturn return. Your Saturn um, return is real. But I, you actually I, have your life together. I
2: think, first of all, it's so, it's so interesting. We kind of mentioned that before. There is not always an immediate solution to everything. You can't order a partner in crime on Amazon. You can't just pretend that that person will, will come to your life the way. It's it's something that it doesn't work. It doesn't really work that, day, that way. And also LA is tough.
0: I picture tough. myself
2: being single in LA, it's so hard to fill in some of the LA shit. Because you have the hippies and then you have the healthy fucking hop. Yoga 5 45 in the morning community that drink like
0: <laughs> all
2: milk and you know taking care of their self, and then you have uh, the LA fluffy, like fancy LA is an incredible city that has so many, uh, so many a lot group of different of groups of people, it's also humans, not you know? a
0: very community
2: based. Well, I would say it is, yeah, when
0: you find your community, but.
2: But oh, community. Sorry, I I I thought you say no. Like in New York. Oh no no no. (laughs) Like
0: in New York, Davide and I were talking about this yesterday. Like you could just go to a bar and get a drink and get laid, and or meet someone or end up on a date or whatever. L A is much harder for that. But I will say honestly, every time, and especially before I met Davide, like I was the happiest I ever was, and the only thing that I do know to be true that I feel confident giving advice on. Is every time I entered a serious relationship was in a moment that I was totally happy and not looking for it, and it popped up. Oh. And so, what I did before I met Davide
2: was—I mean, we were both not looking for a partner when we met each other.
0: No, not at all. And so,
2: like, like we were both. But what I
0: was doing you know. was manifesting him. So I would go to bed every night and say
2: i wish i could have a plate of pasta <laughs> right and a pasta <laughs> brunello right before bed no. and then sing out of an italian song no i would I, am.
0: I would go to bed and say whoever you are i hope that you had a great day God damn it <laughs> i hope you're happy i hope you love your family i hope you're healthy i hope you love your job i hope that everything happened today set you up or our life together. one day I'm
2: going to take that all away from you. <laughs> oh my. Take away your job because you're uh. not working too much. So you will need to be more at home. And probably you're coming from another country. So your family will be very away from you. Oh my. And all your time will turn in my time with you. <laughs> I'm joking. It was a sharp joke. With That's you. a really joke. fucking joke. Uh, You know what, Sweetie. I say find a group of architect and just guys starting an, an aperitivo spritz time at 6 p.m. Yeah. Just seriously joking aside, the power, and, and I think that this is also what my wife was was trying to say, the power of yourself, open and serene in the world to be who you are is incredible, incredibly That's harder than finding a boyfriend. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I don't know if it makes sense what I'm saying. Like the power of you being out and being the best version of yourself, enjoying life, is the most powerful tool you have. And that not only in relation, that also, I believe, apply to friendship, apply to family, apply to work, apply to public relation. The power of you being the best yourself out, out there is the strongest tool you have in your box. So I will really be focused on that.
0: And congratulations on being successful and happy and loving.
2: And single and twenty eight. And being an architect is very an architect.
0: All right. Well thank you, David. That was great.
2: I feel, except for, bit, I feel made, except for the part <laughs> where, <laughs> where you made a bit of tension except for the part where you made it feel sarcastically
0: can we end this by, by the talking about maybe how much you care about me or that that was a joke?
2: Or. <laughs> well now is the section where I talk about <laughs> I love my wife um, and the reason why I do um, we start from a list <laughs> why my wife is so amazing <laughs> and <laughs> thank you for having me again thank you it's for, always a pleasure
0: thank you for coming ciao